When I was in high school, I tried out for the student play. I have no idea why I did that. I had no business doing that. I was probably the victim of peer pressure. People who should have known me better encouraged me. And as I stood in the library in front of two people who were going to decide the future of my acting career, I nervously read my lines. And then one of the teachers said to me, okay, let's try that again. This time, do it like you're not reading the newspaper. I did not get a part in that play. I have since heard that there's a question that actors need to have answered in order to perform their roles very well. And that question is, what is my motivation? Why am I doing or saying this? And if you can understand what your motivation is, you can play the character that you're supposed to play more realistically. Now look at me. I failed uh, at a high school play and I'm giving acting advice. Maybe there's a future for me in this, I don't know. So why is one of my failures, and yet another one of my failures important this week? Because I've titled my message this morning, God's Script for the Family. Because there are God-given roles that each member of the family is supposed to fulfill. And that's what our text this morning addresses. God has designed the family so when all the members of the family are playing their roles right, according to the script that God has given, that that family reflects the nature and the love of God to one another. And that's really important. That is our motivation as Christians in our families. Our motivation for this drama we call our family is that we reveal God's nature and God's love to one another. It's really amazing. It's very powerful. Now, our passage this morning is Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. And uh, you can look that up on your phone or tablet. There's a blue Bible in the seat back in front of you. And it's found on page 984. Much of what we're going to see today flies in the face of what our culture aggressively teaches and insists on, which is why it's so important for us to understand what God's Word says and why God designed it this way. But first, I want to say to the many of you in our church family who are single adults. And while not everything in this passage, some, but not everything applies to you in your life right now, you play a very important role in the families in our church. Your encouragement, your applause, your prayers, your accountability will make a significant difference in the performances of our families, whether they're great performances revealing the nature and the love of God or whether they're so-so performances. The bottom line is that we need you. Let's take a look at our passage, Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So, four roles, four scripts. We're going to begin with probably the most controversial. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, many people hear this command and they think to themselves, isn't this misogynistic? Isn't this a sexist command? It just drips with that. I mean, that's so Middle Ages. Women today are educated. They're independent. And they hold positions of authority and responsibility. How can the command for a wife to submit to her husband have any relevance today? 
And other people might ask, well, doesn't this contradict what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 21, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? And what about what he said just a few verses earlier in Colossians 3? In verse 11, he said, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and all in all. Those are excellent questions. But we don't have time for hard questions this morning. We have time for easy questions, and so we're going to gloss over those. Oh, it sounds like you're going to buy that. All right, let's just do it then. The reality is, is that the command for wives to submit to their husbands does not contradict either one of those passages. And that's really important to understand because the fact that people have misunderstood that have, mean, have meant that this command has been abused over the years, and women have been abused. The Greek word for submit is actually a compound of two words, order and under. It is the ordering of oneself under the authority of someone else. And Bible scholars point out that this word uh, typically in the New Testament is used of a voluntary putting oneself under an authority. And that voluntary aspect is very important. God has defined marriage. He's told us not only that's between a man and a woman, but he's given us specific roles for a husband and a wife. And we are not free to redefine marriage according to our own tastes, at least not without consequences. So a Christian woman who enters marriage voluntarily accepts the role that God has given the wife. So what does submission mean? I've heard some very helpful definitions over the years. And I think at its core, submission is an attitude or a disposition. It's an attitude or a disposition on the part of the wife to honor and affirm her husband's God-given responsibility and authority in the home. And by doing that, the wife honors her husband, honors the Lord, and helps her husband to become all that God calls him to be. So contrary to what many people think, Submission does not imply inferiority on the part of the wife or superiority on the part of the husband. God made both men and women, right? And although he made us wonderfully different, he didn't make one better than the other, although we are better at certain things. Women, for example, are far superior giving birth to children than men are. That's just one example. But both are fully made in the image of God. Both are full co-heirs of all that we stand to inherit as children of God. The Bible tells us that Adam was made from dirt and Eve was made from Adam. I mean, that seems even, right? Not only that, but God, think about this. God did not design one of his most wonderful gifts, the gift of marriage, in such a way that would actually harm his daughters. He wouldn't do that. God's design for marriage is beautiful because God is beautiful. So if we rightly understand it, we will see that God's design for marriage is beautiful. Now, I've had the privilege of performing probably around 100 weddings as a pastor. And I can tell you that God puts together all kinds of couples. There's a lot of mix when he does that. And there are times, I haven't kept track, but I'm sure there are several times where I have performed the wedding of a couple where the, the wife, the bride, was more educated. She was more intelligent. She was more of a natural leader, more of an, an initiator. She was more successful, even more spiritually mature than her husband. And yet God brought them together. In one wedding I did, the bride was actually a former bodybuilder. 
So if she got her husband in a chokehold, she wasn't the one that was going to submit. Amen? <laughs> so here's the question. In a marriage where the wife excels over her husband in some or even all of these areas, is it possible for her to submit? And the answer is absolutely. Because submission has nothing to do with any of those gifts or strengths except how she uses them. If she uses them to honor her husband and honor the Lord, then all of those wonderful gifts just become a blessing to her husband and her family. A godly wife will use all of her God-given gifts and strengths and talents for the good of the family. And in a healthy marriage, she will use her experiences, her wisdom, her knowledge, her gifts, her character, all that she is. And she will direct them to strengthen and to affirm and to encourage her husband in his God-given responsibility to lead their family. And this is important. We'll get into a little bit more in the next point. A strong and secure husband will create an environment in his home where his wife will thrive, where her gifts and her skills are not quenched in any way. You know, I learned early in my marriage that if Carme and I disagree on something, I really need to understand why she has a different perspective. I need to ask her all the questions I need to say, how are you thinking through this? Because God gave wives to husbands because we miss things. We see the world through a little sliver and our wives broaden that. In fact, I'm very thankful for an opportunity to learn that early in our marriage where we all almost lost a valuable friendship because I did not really understand Carme's reservations about something. If you don't realize, if the Lord wanted to spell out exactly what submission looked like, he would have done that. I mean, he certainly could have done that. But the beauty of submission in marriage is that it looks different in every marriage. A husband and a wife, especially when they're first married, they should spend a lot of time asking these questions. What does it look like for me to submit to you? What does it look like for, for you to love me as Christ loves the church? In fact, one time, Carmen and I were walking along the lake not long after we were married, and I asked her, I said, well, what does it look like for you to submit to me? And she quickly said, well, I'm not sure. What does it look like for you to love me as Christ loves the church? And so I changed the subject. <laughs> and I think one day we're going to return to that subject again, but not yet. You know, it's actually similar to trying to figure out what the Bible means when it says that the wife is a helper to her husband, right? So he was created as a helper to Adam. And the word helper is actually used uh, often of God in the Old Testament as our helper. So it's not a, a demeaning term at all. But all men need help. Amen? All men need help. But we don't all need the same help. I mean, some of us can tie our own shoes. You know, it's risky to give an example of submission in marriage because some of you might take it and say, well, that's what it should look like in my marriage when actually it, it should look different in your marriage. But I, I think this might be helpful to do. I'm reminded of a couple that I met with many, many years ago, not a part of Moody Church, and the wife was giving thanks for God's design in marriage. And she told the story about their son, one of their sons, who was really struggling in school. And I think at the time he was probably in about second or third grade. And she was telling me that just this weight on her shoulders because they were advised, maybe you should hold your son back a year. Otherwise, if you put him, you know, to the next grade, he's really going to struggle. And she thought through that and she thought, well, I don't want him to struggle all the time. I don't want school to be a burden, something that he can't, he can't stand to do. That'll have lifelong implications. But if I hold him back, then he's going to know I held him back. And all of his friends are going to be a grade higher than him. 
and they're going to make fun of him. And she said, it was such a burden to me. I didn't know what to do. And her husband said to her at one point in their conversation, sweetheart, we're going to figure out where the Lord is leading us in this. But at the end of the day, it's going to be my decision. It will rest on my shoulders. We're going to make it together. Your input, my input, together seeking God's will. But you don't have to bear the burden of that final decision. So when our son comes to you later on and says, why did you do this? You can say, talk to your father. <laughs> and for her, it was a great example of the role that God had given her husband to play, right? He took the weight that was on her shoulders, that was weighing her down a great deal, and he took that on his own shoulders, and she was so thankful for that. That's what it looks like in, in one marriage. Now, Paul qualifies a wife's submission by saying, as is fitting in the Lord. Part of what he means there is that this is the kind of submission on the part of the wife that is appropriate for God's people, those who are in the Lord. This is how we behave. In Colossians 3.10, just a little earlier in our, in our chapter, Paul talks about the new self that Christians are to put on. Put off the old self, put on the new self in Christ. And the effects of putting on the new self, they change everything about our lives. Perhaps most importantly, how we respond to the people that are closest to us. It also qualifies a wife's submission because ultimately her authority, like her husband's, is the Lord's. So her fitting submission will never include doing anything sinful. This command to submit to your husband is a powerful reason why Christian women should never contemplate marrying a non-Christian man. I mean, think about it. Would you really want to submit yourself, because God's word will still apply to you, would you really want to submit yourself to a man who has not submitted himself to Christ? You don't want that, trust me. Now why? Why would God give the command for wives to submit to their husbands? Why not just say that, well, you're both completely equal, you're co-heirs and so forth, so just take turns deciding who's going to make a decision. You know, there doesn't need to be a, a leader. Just kind of take turns. In fact, there was a Christian book uh, that uh, I looked at a, a few years ago. They were recommending that. And also, if you couldn't decide something, just flip a coin. That was, that was how they recommended leading in your home. I think we would all agree that, that God's way is better than that. That can't possibly be the, the best that God has to offer. I mean, imagine this, okay, wives, imagine this. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you hear on the first floor a window break. And you hear somebody walking downstairs, and you wake up your husband, and he says, uh, I got it last time, babe. This is your time. It's your turn. <laughs> if that's what you want. <laughs> In Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, it's a parallel passage to this one. Uh, Paul goes into a little bit more depth. Let's see what he says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Similar passage, obviously. Paul goes into a little bit more depth there. So God has put husbands as the head of the home, just as Christ is the head of the church. This is the why that he has done this. The husband is to be the spiritual leader of the family, which means that he has a unique God-given responsibility to lead the family in a Godward direction. And with that responsibility, God has given the husband the authority to make it happen. Scholars often point out that even though Eve was the first to eat the fruit, when God came into the garden, he addressed Adam and called him to account first. 
Let me give you a definition of submission. It's not, it's not as, as brief as it's, um, it's a disposition or it's an attitude. But I hope that this longer one gives you a sense of what, what it is that, that God is talking about. Submission is an acceptance of a wife's God-given role to support and encourage her husband's God-given responsibility to lead the family in a God-honoring way. Right? It's all about God. God has assigned the wife a role. He's assigned the husband a role so that together they can move in a God-honoring way. That's the call. Submission should not be a dirty word. All of us are under submission to some God-given authority. Even more, Christ is under the submission of God the Father. He is the head of Christ. And the Holy Spirit stands ready to help you do this at all times because it won't be easy. Now, on to the second role and the second script. Husbands are to love their wives. Husbands are to love their wives. Now, I think it makes sense that Paul would first address the wives because that gives a context for the husbands to understand what their role is. They are to love this woman that God has given them. This woman who has voluntarily put herself in the vulnerable position of submission. In fact, I believe that's what Peter is getting at in 1 Peter 3 when he says that wives are the weaker vessel. A part of that means that they are more vulnerable because they have voluntarily submitted themselves to a sinful man. It's why Peter encourages wives not to be afraid but to trust in the Lord. The command here to husbands was actually countercultural in Paul's day. There were these household codes, as they were called. They were, they were common. And they were designed to help households run smoothly. And so there would be instruction for, for each member of the family. One thing you would not find, though, were commands for husbands to love their wives. But Paul here uses the word agape. It's a familiar word for love. But it's the kind of sacrificial, self-giving love that Christ himself shows for us. So the family of God is to be characterized by love because God himself is love. And God wants all of us to experience that love through the family that he's put us in. And the primary, though not the only, but the primary responsibility for ensuring that one's family is loving, it falls to the husband. Let's take a look at Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 28. The command now to the husbands is, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. What wife wouldn't want to be presented in splendor, right? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And this is, this is an amazing sentence. He who loves his wife loves himself. How we treat our wives, how we love our wives is really loving ourselves because the two have become one flesh. In the performance that the family is putting on to display the nature and the character of God, the husband's role is to shower his wife with the love of Jesus Christ. She should know that she is deeply loved. How can husbands do this? Well, we need to love as Christ loves, right? We need to love our wives unselfishly. So headship in the home, the husband being the authority, doesn't mean he gets his way all the time. He's looking to his wife's needs and her desires. Husbands need to love their wives in a way that ensures that she flourishes and she becomes all that God intends her to be. And that in ways that bring her closer to God and make her more like Christ. 
These are not easy things. The responsibility for the husband is a weighty one, but it is one that we will all be held accountable, are held accountable to God for. 1 Corinthians 13 describes love, and it says things like love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. And yet under the guise of headship, under the guise of being the leader in the home, some husbands have insisted on their own way. If you're always getting your own way, then you're not leading as Christ-led. It's not irritable or resentful. These qualities are actually the opposite of what Paul talked about here. He tells husbands to avoid being harsh with their wives. I don't know what it is, but being harsh seems to be a very natural tendency of husbands, which is why this command is given. And harshness can take on many forms, right? The silent treatment or verbal or even physical abuse. But it's the opposite of love. And it does not reflect the new self that we're called to put on. So husbands, you have an incredible opportunity to show your wife what it is like to be loved by God. There's nobody on the planet that can do it as effectively and as powerfully as you can. You and your wife are loved by God higher and deeper and more broadly than you and I know. But you can shower your, your life, your wife, with the love of Jesus Christ in a way that overwhelms her with that. That's what we are called to do. Your kindness, your gentleness, your patience, your sacrifice to provide for her, to protect her, to lead her in a godly direction. It will show her that she is a treasure to you and to the Lord. It's a phenomenal privilege. And your failure to do so, it clouds the love of God for her. I remember another time that Carmen and I were walking along the lakefront and we were arguing, so we weren't walking very closely to each other. And I could actually see her. She'd gone even further. And I looked at her and I could just see the sadness in her. And it, it dawned on me. It's like the Lord just said, she's sad because of you. And it just really struck me, the responsibility that I have for her, the, the influence that I have over her. How a husband loves his wife is actually largely guided by how a wife feels loved, right? Many of you have been blessed by Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. So if your wife is hoping to spend more time with you, but you're spending day after day doing the dishes and doing laundry, stop. Men, stop doing the dishes and the laundry. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that from the pulpit of Moody Church. If that's not her love language. If she doesn't want to spend that much time with you and she wants you to do those things, well, then do those. That's how she's going to experience the love of God through you. So husbands, we need to ask our wives, how can I do a better job of showing you the love of God? How can I show you what a treasure you are to me? And the answer for each wife is going to be different. Now, don't gasp when she gasps at the question or when she pulls out her list because she probably has a list. In marriage, we get a glimpse of the relationship within the Trinity. Perfect equality with a submission and difference of roles. Many people mistakenly think that different roles imply inequality, but it's not true in the Trinity and it's not true in marriage. God wants your family to reflect the beauty of the Trinity. So husbands, you and I, we are accountable to the Lord for how we treat our wives, his daughters. And we must rely upon the Holy Spirit in order to do that well. 
This third script for the third role is actually the only one of the four that all of us fulfill at one point in our lives. And it's simply children obey. Children obey. God loves his children. God absolutely loves his children more than we can even imagine. Do you believe that? He loves us. He loves us. And that means that God's commands are for our good, our earthly good and our eternal good. Children, younger children, if you can understand what I'm saying, older children, up to like age 64 if you're still living at home, the Lord wants you to have a wonderful and abundant life. He wants you to have that. He wants your life to be full of joy. And your parents are a gift from God in order to give you that abundant and joyful life. And God's way for you to live that is by obeying your parents in everything. It's a simple command. You please the Lord, you honor him and your parents by doing what they tell you to do. Now, as you get older, your relationship with your parents will change. And Paul isn't addressing all those possibilities. And here, Paul isn't addressing the possibility, the very real uh, situation, unfortunately, where parents are actually uh, commanding their kids to do something that, that dishonors the Lord. But the general rule is that children contribute to the performance that the family is putting on to reveal the nature and the love of God by following the instructions their parents give them because it represents the harmony of the Trinity and it pleases the Lord. So children, all of us know how difficult this is. All of us were children at one point. It is not easy to go to bed when you want to stay up. It's not easy to come home when you want to stay out with your friends. It's not easy to resist pulling your, your brother or sister's thick, silky hair or keeping your chubby little fingers out of the cookie jar. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. Trust me, I know it's not easy. But God has given you a mom and a dad in most situations, and he's a father to the fatherless where that's not true, who are crazy about you, even when you do crazy things. Our four kids are very different, which is why we gave them different names. <laughs> now, on, on more than one occasion, I've heard my kids say, oh, which one of them is, is mom or dad's favorite? And oftentimes they're not saying that they are. They're, they're saying, well, I think you are because you seem to get treated better than I do. And they're always asking us to rank our kids. You know, which ones do you like best? And they go, well, I think it's this, this, and this. And I cannot seem to convince them that I love all of them equally because I love all of them with all of my heart. Now, it is true when they ask very annoying questions, I find that the size of my heart shrinks toward that child. <laughs> but that is a rare thing. We've all been in homes, hopefully just visiting, not living, where the children do not obey their parents until they absolutely have to, until they're yelled at. I, I, I'll probably never forget one time in particular where the child was just said, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, you stop that. And it's, oh, oh, okay, okay. It's like, get the child tested for hearing and put the parents in a parenting class. Those are on Wednesday nights in the fall. Thank you, Pastor Bob Gunter. Children, the better you are at obeying your parents, the better you will be at obeying the Lord. In fact, they're, they're really one and the same. And there's nothing more important than that. By submitting to the authority of your parents, you please the Lord and you grow stronger and wiser when it comes to following the Lord, which will bring you great blessings. The Bible promises those things. And that is how you contribute to helping your family display the love and the nature of God. So children, ask the Lord to help 
when obeying your parents is difficult, and he will help you. And pray for your parents, that God will help them be better parents. You may pray that a lot. They need prayer just like you do. Well, the final script is about fathers. Fathers, do not provoke. One of the first things you may notice is that this is the only one of the four commandments that's negative. Only the men in the family seem to need the warning not to be harsh with their wives and not to provoke and discourage their children. And even though Paul addresses fathers in particular here, and that is the word that he uses, obviously there's application for mothers as well. But the sad truth is, is that these are probably two areas in which fathers in particular can be weak in. And you know, as I've examined my own parenting over the years, I think sometimes it's from fear. I want to control my kids. I want them to turn out in a certain way, and I'm afraid that if I'm not sometimes overly harsh with them, that they won't. Sometimes it's just pride. I don't want them to misbehave in front of other people because it makes me look bad. And sometimes it's just selfishness. I've said publicly before that, you know, when my kids were much younger, my primary goal was to raise kids who don't annoy me. That was it. I, just, just don't annoy me and I'll buy you candy or something like that. And it really was a very selfish approach to parenting. My children have pointed that out on more than one occasion. But science has taught us that children's brains don't even stop cooking until they're in their 20s, right? So here's the thing about kids. They're absolutely adorable, but they do some very foolish things. And those things can get on our nerves, which is why we need to be mindful and take this command seriously. In Ephesians 6.4, Paul expounds on this command, and he actually contrasts it with the, with the positive that fathers are to do. He said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So dad, your God-given script to raise your children is to do so in such a way that by God's grace, they will know, love, and serve Jesus, as we say here at the Moody Church. That is your goal. Provoking and discouraging our children is not how we will do that. However, there are a lot of pitfalls that uh, parents in general, maybe fathers in particular, need to avoid. One is inconsistent discipline. They don't know what to expect. One time they did it and you laughed. The next time they did it and they got in trouble. You're overly critical. You're not praising or encouraging them, but you're pointing out every fault. Be careful not to embarrass your children. I learned a long time ago that when they got to be a certain age, there was information about my kids that was really not anybody else's business. It wasn't for me to tell. Don't embarrass them for their failures. Don't be unfair or unreasonable. Sometimes we don't want to take the time to get all the facts. Okay, what really happened, right? And so our, our discipline is unfair or unreasonable. We're harsh. The punishment far outweighs the offense. And then also, I think lastly, not apologizing. I think there's no doubt I have apologized to my children more than they have apologized to me. I'm not convinced I deserved that, but I have apologized more than they've apologized to me. Because if we, if we do these things, if we sin against them in this way, it causes them to want to give up. They get discouraged. I think there's nothing I can do to make my dad happy. There's nothing I can do. Some of us are, are middle-aged and older. We're still trying to please our father, whether he's, whether he's alive or not. We don't want to make it impossible for them to please us. We don't want them to be discouraged. So here's, I think, a wonderful truth about being a father. Think about how the Lord is helping you grow in your faith. How is the Lord helping you to become more like Jesus and be like that to your children? Because fathers are to reflect the fatherhood of God. We are to reveal to our children by how we love them, how we discipline them, how we care for them, what God is like. 
So we should display the love and the grace of God. Not always punishing our kids, but sometimes after your child does something wrong and you can see that they're frustrated, you sit down next to me and say, that really stinks, doesn't it? Don't you hate when you do that? So do I. I hate it too. I hate when I lose my temper. I hate when I say something that embarrasses me. But you know, that's why we have forgiveness through Jesus. And you walk with them through life honestly, with integrity, and it's a great encouragement. We need to point our children to the Lord and to his grace. I ran across a quote this week, I think it's helpful, when striving to help our kids come to know and trust Jesus as we do. This author says, don't trust anyone more than Jesus. No program, no method, no model will ensure godly offspring. Though we have every reason to hope for the salvation of our children, faith is not inherited. And each individual must own the truth of the gospel himself. So the responsibility of parents is to live out the gospel in the lives of our children. We show them the unconditional love that God blesses us with. They're not loved for who they could be or who they will be if they try a little harder. They are loved by us because of who they are. The influence of a great father on the lives of his children is probably hard to overestimate. I recall listening to a sermon many years ago where the preacher was talking about giving an example of uh, women who are very successful in various fields. And there was a study done and what it concluded was that the common denominator among all of those successful women was they each had a father who loved them and encouraged them to believe that they could be the best they could be. On the contrary, if we don't do that, the damage that we could do would be great. The script that God has given parents is to show our children who Jesus is, imperfectly for sure, so that they might grow to love him the way we do. And there's no formula for that, no right way to do it. You have to spend the time with your children. You have to have date nights. You've got to take them out for breakfast or lunch. You've got to do stuff with them. You have to understand what encourages this child What discourages this child? How can I show them my love? It's contextual, just like the love that a husband and wife have for one another. It's a phenomenal privilege. So, if we are going to be families who are all in for Jesus, as we are being encouraged to do in Colossians, then each one of us is going to identify the script that God has given to us, and with the the help of the Holy Spirit, we are going to fulfill that script. And when we do it, we actually make it easier for other members of the family to play the role that God has called them to. And we experience and we show others the nature and the love of God. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, there's no way to cover all the different possibilities in this passage, and I know many questions probably remain unanswered. But my prayer is that none of us would shrink away from your plan for the family and for your role for us. And so I pray, Lord, that all of us would yield ourselves to the role that you're giving us and that we would seek whatever help we need, counseling and books and small groups. We'd seek your word first and foremost and your help because, Lord, you've given us a phenomenal gift in the family that we might know you better, your nature and your character, and we might experience your love. And so I pray, Father, that we as a church family, that we would not settle for anything less. In Jesus' name, amen.